I try to fire my committee on a regular basis. The voices in your head, I call that the committee, you know, the metaphorical voices in your head telling you, you know, that this could be a teacher, this could be um, a former partner, this could be your parents, this could be your friend next door. And those are those voices that we continue to carry with us in our head. And they're the ones who are telling you, you shouldn't, you can't, why are you, you're not good enough, don't try to do this. In today's episode, I sit down with the lovely and compassionate Alana Miller. She's a science and psychology nerd and a professional psychic who made her mark in the nonprofit management space. Alana is also a strong advocate for diversity and shares all about the mission she is on to empower low-income, at-risk youth and their families with the skills necessary to pursue higher education and create strong communities. In this deep and vulnerable episode, we discuss the nuances of the foster care system, how to deconstruct the negative narrative in our minds, find our tribe, and embrace all parts of ourselves. I also tap into my spiritual side and receive my first ever tarot card reading. Alana M.G. Yes. What does M.G. stand for? Miller Good Earl. See? Miller Good Earl. I didn't want to mess that up. Um, thank you for coming all the way down here to Hennessy Studios. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. It's exciting to be here. Good. Well, it's it's an honor to have you here. Um, and you didn't have too far of a drive. Where'd you come in from? Calabasas. Calabasas. Okay. And we were talking earlier and you said that you were an OG of Calabasas. <laughs> yes, I was living in Calabasas before the Kardashians got See? there, uh-huh. when it was still an unincorporated part of L.A. County, wasn't even its own city yet. Uh-huh. And we uh, rode our horses to the market. Do you still own horses? No. You don't. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we were actually, when we were looking for homes, we were looking out in Calabasas. And I told you, like, you know, one of the things that I loved was, like, the farmer's market and food and the culture. We ended up going out to Santa Clarita though. Santa Clarita is nice. Uh It's really nice. Calabasas is nice. A lot of people go there for the schools. Yes. Family community. That's right. Yep. So, um, you've lived many lives. I've lived many lives, many hats. (laughs) That's part of my own personal development journey is integrating all of that. Uh I think we're there. I think we're almost there. Yeah. So I'm just going to kind of go over a couple of these things. You did a lot of work in nonprofit. Yes. Uh, A doctoral student in psychology. Correct. Got it. Professional psychic. Yes. Which uh, you have a bunch. What did you bring in with? What is that? I brought toys. I brought tools for us. All sorts of esoteric fun stuff. um, Great. Representing different cultures and parts of the world. Um, I will share with you that these little guys. Okay are for protection to keep, you know, the evil spirits away. Got it. Um, we have a little tribute to India, pa- Pakistan, okay. and those cultural elements. We've uh-huh. got Japan here. Um, some crystals, feathers, sage, chakras, and more crystals. I love it. And okay. of course, most people are familiar with the tarot deck. The tarot deck. So, okay. I brought that. We can play with that later. Yes. Yes. Make sure you tune in and stay listening because, boy, I i don't think I've ever, ever gotten a real reading before in my life. Really? I don't think so. No. I got one in a bar once, which I'll talk about. But um, Oh, I want to hear about that. Yeah. That Sometimes those can be really interesting. Uh-huh. We will talk about that. So let's see here. Former uh, foster care social worker. Correct. 
Um, then you went off to New Orleans? I did for a second. Okay. LSU. Did some improv stuff. Man, we got so much to talk about here. Where do we even start? I don't know. (laughs) Where do you want to dive in? You know, going off to, um, I was at LSU and I dropped out for a second to join an improv comedy troupe. Okay. It was so wonderful. It was one of those best experiences. At the time, I looked incredibly irresponsible and what am I doing with my life? Uh But now I get to look back and be like, I am so glad that I did that. I'm so glad I listened to that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I... That was my thing, too. I did improv. I did some Second City stuff. Oh, did you? so much fun. Oh, we can play a game. Okay. Let's do improv games. Okay. Next time, we'll do another show of just improv games. That'd be fun. I love that. So let's talk about, it sounds like you spent a lot of your time uh, doing nonprofit stuff. Yeah. Right? So how, how did you become interested in that line of work? I feel like it was a calling, if you will. Okay. Um, helping other people. I actually... And it kind of crosses over into my esoteric work because I had a conversation with spirit, source, universe, again, whatever language makes you or your listeners feel comfortable Mm -hmm. of your own personal truth. And what do I want to do with my life and creating abundance or making a living while serving community, Mm. serving others, humanity seemed to be really aligned with my personal value system. Okay. So I moved into the nonprofit sector. Hmm. And so how many years did you spend in that sector? Too long. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would say the majority of my early career was working with um, nonprofit institutions, whether it was in mental health and foster care or expanding into the arts. I worked um, with a lot of symphonies and orchestras and live performance institutions for a while. I received my master's or my MBA in nonprofit management. Mm -hmm. And so it was a really wonderful, valuable career. I'm an excellent fundraiser. I can make any institution a lot of money. But really, like you mentioned, there's you know a lot of different roles, a lot of different paths. And I've had the opportunity to kind of explore um, how do I bring it all together? Sure, sure. Um, and so uh, I guess that was probably a very rewarding part of your life, right? Yes. I'm sure you have a lot of stories and memories of uh, of how you were able to kind of, like you said, serve your community. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Then uh, you also did, did some foster care work too? Yes, I was a foster care social worker. Okay. So I worked in primarily LA, but some Ventura County um, in the nitty gritty with our most vulnerable populations. Yeah, huh? Tell me a little bit more about like that. like Hard, hard work. Yeah. If you can imagine hard work, complex system. The foster care system, the child welfare system is a very complex system. Mm-hmm. Children come to that system from a variety of situations. And the lay public tends to think that it's only through abuse, like we're saving children from really bad parents. And although that is absolutely the case, there's also families who have just found themselves for one reason or another in really unimaginable situations. Mm. And they require support and help to keep that family together or keep that child safe while they try to put the pieces in place. And I think that's been some of the most challenging stories that I have in my archive of, um, really trying to keep a family stable and move them forward 
And there's so many barriers to success when um, a family finds themselves in that situation. All of them, you can imagine from, you know, social economic to race relations, mental health, addiction, Mm. um, educational barriers, immigration barriers. I mean, all of the isms are definitely magnified within the foster care system. I personally don't have a lot of experience with that, but I could, I could only imagine like, you know, a lot of these kids are born into situations that they can't control. Right. A hundred percent. They're children. They're children. They're children. Yeah. Um, and then there's so many variables, um, that, uh, that continue to come and, you know, you could be scarred for life, like kind of growing up that, that way. And I'm sure you've probably seen that, but at the same time, it's probably also very rewarding when you do have these success stories. Yeah. The resiliency piece, Mm -hmm. you, I like to say you truly can see the veil fingerprint of God or, or a higher energy within the foster care system, because as terrible and difficult and sad that experience is, there are these resiliency stories. There's these Mm -hmm. miracle stories. Like these children have been through the worst, like the Mm -hmm. worst and bad. And They've moved on to such amazing, wonderful things. Or foster families who decide, I'm going to open my door to a child going through so much and I'm going to love the heck out of them and then give them back. Oh, yeah. So it's it's pretty bittersweet, the high highs and the low lows. But tell me a little bit more about the positive side of the work that you've done, um, you know, in the foster care system. What are some of the success stories? Um, as I mentioned, like, it is amazing to see resiliency, mm-hmm. um, that when a young person beats the odds, yeah. they've been, I worked with, um, a young man, um, handed up on my caseload. I began working with him as a teenager and his father committed awful, terrible crimes, mm-hmm. um, murdered the family. This young man survived. And so mm. you can imagine the scars and the pain there sure. of this young person. He was steadfastly dedicated to Um, making a difference, going into law enforcement because of the experience that he went through. He Mm. wanted to, instead of channeling that energy into into something negative, Mm. he was like, I want to channel it into something positive. I want to help shape the direction of um, our criminal justice system more Mm. than just like a passive participant. Like he really wanted to be an activist to help people. And he ended up joining... um, and there's an academy that teenagers can join. Okay. He ended up joining the academy and moving into the, eventually moving into the sheriff's department oh, and wow. doing it that way. Hmm. Um, families who vowed they were only going to foster and they've created such a bond with the child. And it comes to a point where they're like, why are we not adopting this child? Why sure. are we not becoming a family? Yeah. And um, it's like, the tragedy that brought them to the space never happened. Just healing through love and through family and joy. Yeah, no, um, it's a, uh, no, no, I, the question I have that I was thinking about, so like, you know, you're doing all this great work, right. But like, as, as a kid, like, is this something that you thought, were you always the kid that like, like stood up for the kid that was being bullied or it seems like you have this amazing heart. Oh, right? thank you yeah. so much. Uh-huh. I'd like to think so. Yeah. My brother has Down syndrome. Okay. I'm the eldest. And so I've had the fortunate experience of 
always seen diversity, always seen adversity a little bit. Uh And I always stood up for my brother and Mm. vowed to be next to him. I definitely was the kid who would stand up to the bullies. Yeah. I was also bullied and stood up to my bullies. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's always been kind of like a driving force. I have a little bit of fire in me. Yeah. A little bit of passion. Uh I think most people who meet me, they'll walk away going, she's really passionate. (laughs) And so I think that passion's translated into humanitarian causes one way or the other. Now, when you were a kid, though, right? Um, Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a medical doctor. Is that right? I really want to be a medical doctor. Okay. But that's a fun story because in high school, I was in an AP biology class, which was like a big stamp of honor at the of time. Course. And the program I was in, it was actually over at Agora High School at the time. There was a teacher who had a connection somehow could pick up uh, cadavers. Okay. And I, and um, they brought out the cadaver. I couldn't handle it. And mm-hmm. that ended any anticipation of a medical career. I thought about becoming a vet, had the same aversion to blood and icky things. So I decided mental health might be the way mental health health and and nonprofit work and community work might be the way to go. Yeah. Now, uh, mental health. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, Like, does the school system really teach us about mental health? Oh, Jason, you want me to go into how I feel about the school system? Yeah. <laughs> Our, well, you know what? Because I let's think Let's buckle up, buttercup. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's just, you know what I mean? Like we teach everything else. Like we're, te- it's like some, in some cases, it's an antiquated, you know, school system. We're learning things that, you know, we're learning how to learn, right? And not so much what to learn, but I think mental health is where we really fall down. And I want your thoughts on that. A million percent. Mm-hmm. We don't. Uh, the way the system is currently set up is archaic. It mm-hmm. was... If you look into the history of education in the United States, it it started with like, okay, young people should be educated and we should be responsible for educating them. We being like uh, at the government level. Mm-hmm. And so we set these parameters in place, but it has not been reviewed since the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Essentially, we've made some changes throughout the years, but it's really focused on this um industrial idea, like take these steps, go up this ladder and then go into a factory. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't focus on individual learning needs, yeah. um, different approaches. And then of course the mental health piece, we do not foster that mm-hmm. at all in the system. There are changes now where more affluent schools are, are looking at what they're calling the whole child approach where they're starting to bring counselors in. And, but those tend to be in more, again, affluent communities that have the resources to do that. That's not the standard model. Yeah. And if you look at the development of young people, that social emotional piece, they're not learning that they're being asked to learn their times tables, but they're not learning how to process their emotions or, Mm. you know, how do I deal when I'm angry with my friend or I'm in kindergarten and I feel like throwing the block. Yeah. What is the feeling that I'm feeling? Oh, that's called anger. Yeah. Okay. What does anger feel like? What does it taste like now? What do I do with that anger? Do I throw, I still have that energy, but you're telling me not to throw the block, Mm -hmm. but I still feel very angry. Like, are we taking the time to, all right, Let's be teachers and model how we process anger. How many adults do you know who may have like an anger problem or a depression problem or an anxiety Anxiety. problem? Mm -hmm. 
because we haven't learned how to deal with it, deal with it, process it, put it someplace. It's everywhere. I mean, you look around L.A., right? I mean, like it's pretty obvious, right? A lot of mental health issues leading up to why we have so many homeless people. 100%. Right? Now, don't get me wrong. There's also vices and things like that. But that also leads into the mental health that probably could have been cured at an earlier age and we wouldn't have had situations that we have now. Definitely. You know, you're alluding to like addiction, you know, Mm -hmm. a a lot of that is Mm self-medicating. It's I'm having this experience. So we haven't identified particular disorders or disabilities or quirks, like just little parts of our personality as children. And so we haven't learned how to cope with them as adults. And then because parents were never taught that way either, right? Um, right. You know, now you have parents that aren't really educated and trained into coaching their own children with how to deal with those same issues that they faced when they were children, right? I agree with that. Yeah. I I definitely agree with that. And then there's such a stigma to it, you know, you know, oh, my child has ADD or my child is experiencing depression or my child has a learning disability or my child's bipolar. Mm-hmm. Such a stigma. It is. Especially in a town like Los Angeles. It's like every, you know, everybody's like, oh, my kid is so. You label. We yeah, we label. Yeah. label people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Quickly label people. Yes. Right? Yes. And then from there, then in your mind as the individual that's been labeled. Right. Now you start to associate and you start to believe what you've been labeled as, right? And then you start to manifest it that way, right? You start to act that way because that's how you've been labeled, right? Oh, you're right on. And <laughs> that's like part of the spiritual work that I do. I uh-huh. work with people is exactly what you're talking about, hmm. is that we have taken on this role, this label of who you are, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We've told a story to ourselves, like it's good to be this, or it's bad to be that, or I'm bad because of that. Yeah. And working to kind of shed that and separate that. I even, I'm doing that in myself right now. Mm. Like, you know, I'm this, I'm that. It's like, I'm just a human being Mm. trying to figure it out. Just like the rest of us. I'm just in existence. I'm not this label that's been placed on me. And it's so hard to break those, those early labels to run from them. And the secret, right, because one of the things that I feel um, is you start to lack confidence, mm-hmm. right? Because you've been labeled and you start to think, oh, you know, I'm different, right? Or whatever else. We talk about medication, like sometimes you get medicated, whatever. But now you don't even have, you lack the confidence to really like succeed in life, right? Yes. You know, and it's all because of this imaginary world that in some cases we all believe and start to live in, right? I call that the committee. The committee. The voices in your head, Uh you know, the metaphorical voices in your head telling you, you know, that this could be a teacher, Mm -hmm. this could be um, a former partner, this could be your parents, this could be your friend next door. And those are those voices that we continue to carry with us in our head. And they're the ones who are telling you, you shouldn't, you can't, why are you? You're not good enough don't try to do this. Yeah. And so I try to fire my committee on a regular basis. I like that. It's a committee, huh? So like if there's parents that are listening to this yes. right now, right? And maybe they have children um, that are being bullied in school because they are different or they lack confidence, they lack self-esteem. Um, you know, what could parents do 
Like what, what, what are the first steps that they can take? I think one of the best things parents could do with their children mm. is establish a normative relationship of open communication. I mm. think we're always, a, we t there's a tendency as parents to be afraid to be too open with our children. Oh no, I'm going to expose them to so much scary stuff. But if your child's in a situation like bullying, that's pretty scary too. Yeah. So I feel like we as parents tend to underestimate how sharp our young people are and how quick they can catch on to things. So sitting down and having a conversation, open conversation with our children builds emotional intelligence, not only in our children, but also us as parents. And it really forms a connection between the parent and the child. So let's say your child comes home, they, they were teased for the clothes they were wearing and they're, you know, come home in tears, they're having a tantrum. Be, hold space for them. Yeah. Be there, let them have the tantrum. My reaction if my child's upset is I want to call the school, you yeah. know, I want to, you know, call that other parent and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. We can get to all that advocacy part as a parent that I'm sure you and your listeners will do a million times. But be with your child for a minute. Mm. Allow them to process all of that and reassure them that you're going to walk with that journey. And then from there help to deconstruct that narrative that they've just been taught by a peer. So again, let's say, oh, you know, Johnny was making fun of you because you have know, acne on your you face. You have acne on your face. Mm -hmm. Talk about acne. Mm -hmm. Talk about acne. Like it's normal. Mm -hmm. Like it happens. It's a clogged pore. That's just all there is to it. Like normalize what this person has made a negative and mm -hmm. deconstruct that narrative. Like, no, you're not ugly or gross or yucky because you have a pimple. You have a pimple because you're a teenager. Exactly. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and then you can do all the stuff you would normally do as a parent. Yeah. You know, having those dialogues and conversations with other adults. But it needs to start with having a conversation with your young person. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, we, a lot of people will bring on the show like or they meditate. Right. Yes. You know, and I think when you meditate, like as in life, right, in order to live, you have to breathe in and then you have to breathe out. Right. Right. And I think the breathing outside is just being able to kind of talk about it. Excellent. Yes. Right. Like, yes. Because you, you all day long, you're breathing it in like you're not good enough. You're not smart. Enough, right. You know, but eventually you have to like get it out. Right. And sometimes when you get it out, the problem becomes over here and not so much in here. Uh -huh. right? in You've got health. it. You've, that's it. Right. That's it. It's you know, why is therapy so valuable to so many people? Mm -hmm. Because you're talking about it. That's you're it. no longer inter internalizing it. And I'm a big advocate of however you have that therapeutic process, whether you're journaling, talking to a friend, going to a professional, talking to a sage or, or a shaman, doing a dance, whatever your thing is, you've got to let go of that energy and let it transform. Otherwise, it's going to get bottled up inside of you. And that's when we have all our things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then later, like in later on in life, if you don't deal with it, it deals with you. Right. All of our shadow pieces, uh -huh. the parts of the stuff that we we know are there or maybe we're unaware of there, but they're, they're not presenting our best self. We all have shadows. We all have those pieces that mm -hmm. there's opportunity for growth and improvement. When that shadow starts to take over your life in one way or the other, mm -hmm. all that is is things that are not resolved. Those are just pieces that we haven't compartmentalized and allowed to process out of our system. Yeah. So you're 100% right. So here's a question um, going off on, a, I guess, a tangent here. Um, so let's say you have somebody that is addicted, like, right? Or mm -hmm. they're an alcoholic, right? And they were an alcoholic for 10 years, okay? okay? 
and then they finally get the courage to um to save themselves okay and they go into like alcohols and on alcoholics anonymous right so then they go into alcoholics anonymous and they spend five years and they're just doing amazing right living life um now remember they were labeled as an alcoholic right now they're in alcohols anonymous right they've been sober for five years um what is it from a mental perspective that you still continue to go to Alcohols Anonymous? Like, are you still labeling yourself an alcoholic? That is a great, great question. Right? So the piece here is to look at is I was drinking. Mm -hmm. Why was I drinking? Why was it problem drinking? There's like a next step. Like if you're going to AA, you've got the 12 steps. But there's another step there mm -hmm. that I encourage people to explore. Okay is that getting to the root of what's going on. Now, something like alcoholism, yes, there's a gene associated with it. So mm. there could be a piece of like, hey, I had it, my father had it, my, you know, my mother had it, and I know that this is like an allergy for me, and therefore I should step away from it, mm. you know, from that piece. Um, were, was there unresolved trauma? So were you an alcoholic or was there unresolved trauma? Mm. And switching that narrative versus from the I'm the alcoholic, mm -hmm. I am the alcoholic. Yeah. It to this is I'm making wellness choices. I'm waking up making choices that affirm this five-year identity that I've discovered myself without the opportunity yeah. to drink. You know, sometimes labels like alcoholic or are warning signs or ways to keep us on a path. But yeah. if you're kind of feeling if you're somebody who you're like, this label's no longer fitting for me, mm -hmm. then put the label down. Yeah. If you've spent five years in a program and you're doing really well, yeah. and this label is still connected to you and it no longer fits, yeah. you have the permission to dispose of that label. You don't have to carry it with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. If your label, if you will, your t-shirt fits and you like what it's called, what's it doing for you, mm -hmm. keep it. But you have the, I give you permission to put these labels away when they no longer suit you. And I'm sure if there's people that are listening that are part of the program that have been part of the program for 20 years, there's probably an argument on why they need to continue to go. And it might not so much be about them anymore, but it might be about saving other people. And maybe that's the real reason why they continue to go is continue to fight for those that are struggling and where they were. Maybe, I don't know. Like I've never been part of this program, but like, that's always something that in the back of my mind, I always wondered, like, you've been sober for 10 years, but yet you continue to go and you have to show up and you say, hi, my name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic, right? I've never been to a meeting, right? I'd have never had this problem. But, you know, after 20 years, it just it's just something that I always thought about. Yeah, there's a community there, a support system there. So that mm -hmm. goes back to my earlier point, like find the system that works for you. If 12 steps is working for you. Great. I know a lot of people who did not benefit from 12 step programs. I know people who still go to 12, like you, like 20 years still mm -hmm. going to their group. Yeah. Find your tribe. That's it. Find what's working for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's right. It becomes, right, they say you are the five people you associate yourself 100%. with. And if you're spending time with people that used to drink, that no longer drink, and they're living good lives with their families and stuff like that. Um, here's something, though, right? So you have somebody that's an alcoholic. They get saved five years, right? And now they're clean. But now they get addicted to pain pills, right? 
So you have somebody that's going to AA meetings saying that I'm clean, I'm sober, great, you can live a life without drinking. But in the background, they're kind of have a different vice now, right? Like, what's what, what do you do? So that's right. kind of what I was talking about earlier is like, you know, addiction and recovery is really difficult. And getting over that first hurdle of putting it down for a second, like just stop drinking, stop doing the drugs, we'll step away for a minute. That's really hard. But we're talking, you know, five years down the road yeah. in, in uh -huh. this scenario that we're talking about. Sure. That's what I mean by like, it's do the work. Mm -hmm. really do the work. Congratulations for stopping the addiction. Yeah. That's great. That's wonderful. Not taking that away from you. That should be celebrated all yeah. the time. And you should celebrate that. But take your recovery further. Yeah. Ask yourself, why was I doing that? Because sure, I'm not drinking alcohol, but I'm pill popping. We're still dealing with the exact same addiction piece. And there's some of us who are more prone to addiction. They're mm. more prone to impulse behaviors. Our bodies just you know, crave something more. Yeah. Learn that about yourself. Mm. If you're someone who's like, I can't, I know that everything has to be in moderation and I have to be conscious about it because I go out of control. Connect with yourself. Learn that part of your shadow. Mm. And you don't have to fear it. It's not a bad part of you. It's just who you. It's how you wired. That's right? just how you wired. Yeah. We like to tell stories about these parts of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, we like to say, oh, I have an addictive personality, therefore I'm bad, mm. or therefore I am an addict, or therefore I'm this. Step back from that. You're the one telling the story about it. Yeah. Step back from it. I just have an addictive personality. This is something I need to be aware of. Or try to mentally change what you're addicted to, yes. right? So like, how can you change your perspective? So instead of being addicted to alcohol, respect being addicted to pain medication, try to get addicted to like, Taking your daughter to the park and 100%. doing fun yes. things and yes. go 120% yes. into that, right? Yes. You know, like, I mean, it's not a bad thing, right? It's just what you choose as what you're going to be doing, I guess, right? Yeah. Even for those who don't have problematic drinking, like mm -hmm. alcohol is bad for you. Like, mm -hmm. sure, we all enjoy it, yeah. but it's bad for you. It crosses the blood-brain barrier. We know how we feel in the morning. I know as I'm getting older, I can't, it's like, waking up in the morning, even with just a glass of wine is like, oof, mm. you know, it's, it's okay to make other choices. Yeah. It's okay to be like, I'm, I'm going to do things that are positive for me. And that's a way to change the perspective and reframe it. I'm making choices that affirm me. Mm. I'm making choices that work better for me. If you're, if drinking doesn't affirm you or you're waking up the next morning or it's causing problems. Yeah then make other choices. Sure. You, I, you can make a million other choices. I'm going to take my daughter to the park. There you go. I'm going to... I'm Spending time with them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so my son, who was 16 at the time, um, started dating a girl. Um, and they dated for about a year and a half, right? Which is a long time when you're 16 years old, right? And then, uh, you know, later on, um, you know, as most teenagers, you get into fights, this and that. Nothing physical, but, you know, whatever. Um, and then for whatever reason, the parents, um, you know, were trying to kind of break the relationship up, right? And so, um, and it was like the story of Romeo and Juliet. It really was, right? And so um, they just didn't like them being around together. They're spending too much time together, texting. 
they had like they were kind of like abusing like time right with being together um so it turned out that the parents were like literally like putting like restrictions saying hey listen i want to get to know you better the only way that you could see my daughter is you have to take um judo classes with me like they literally put together a contract right that That's my son so had to sign interesting i'm not even lying right so they had to put together a contract that my son had to sign you can only call her between the hours of like five to nine. You got to take karate class with me one day a week. Um, and this whole contract that my son, because he liked this girl, had to sign. Ain't this kind of, it's kind of a bizarre story. Long story short, he wanted to be with her. She wanted to be with him. And the parents just kind of completely separated to the point where the parents actually won. And they made the girl believe that he was just not the right person for him. And it really did this emotional thing to, to JJ, right? I bet. Yeah. Where, you know, he would text her and she wouldn't response. And that, and so eventually, like, he ended up getting served with a um, restraining order because he was texting her. It was like this whole thing. Oh, right? my goodness. Oh, anyway, Whoa. I'm being vulnerable here, right? But that's Please what be. make Thank your, you. mess, your message, right? So here, why not? Because those are families that learn from it. But this really, like, you know, hurt my son, right? Yep. And now he has this traumatic kind of thing about this mm. whole thing, right? Um, and he wasn't perfect either, right? You know what I mean? Like, there's always three sides of the story, and I'm only telling JJ's side of the story. But it was very traumatic for him. And But, you know, he went to therapy, and he did counseling, and and it really helped. Like, because I, I went through my own stuff when I was a kid, and I never— I never like was able to breathe out. I always, yeah. like for me personally, I always breathe. Like I kept everything internally, um, but for him and and going through family therapy with him and everything else and dealing with this, like it it works. Like this stuff works. If you're listening and you've got children that are going through issues, like from somebody that was a non-believer in therapy and keep all your problems to yourself and don't like this this really is radical. Do, it works. It really does work. Mm -hmm. And the field's only expanding and trying to increase accessibility. Mm -hmm. You hear the few stories of, oh, it didn't work for me or I didn't like my therapist. Then find a new therapist. Sure. It goes yeah. back to find your tribe. Find what's work yeah. works for you. But yeah, I mean, that's why I love the field so much is because it works because you got to exhale. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I learned in family therapy and I, I was like, wow, this is so powerful. Um like when you, cause my, my wife and my, my one son at the time, like we weren't ready for this. And so like, anyway, the communication internally in the house became like toxic and all kinds of other stuff. Right. Um, but one thing that a, a therapist or I can't remember, uh, it was a woman, right? I think she was a doctor. Um, she's like, yeah, you have, um, she drew it out on the board. Um, she's like, you've got Emotional response and rational responses, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that is so powerful, right? Because my wife and my son, JJ, are two people that are emotionally responsive, right? And so when you have two people that are just emotionally responsive, it's like, whoa, the world, it's like crazy world, right? Whereas me, I'm totally rational. <laughs> and so like... And, and, but it's not anyways better, but the fact that we can actually put that on and learn from it and they can understand that, Hey, what I'm about to say is an emotional response when we step back and think about it. And then same for me too. Like sometimes I want to emotionally talk and it's okay to do that, 
But just knowing the difference between emotional and rational responses and communication. Powerful. That, that is powerful. That's right? huge. Uh-huh. That's huge. And so being powerful. able to say, I'm really emotional right now. Uh-huh. So either I, I need to calm down and do my work. I got to meditate. Got to take a couple deep breaths. Yeah. Or if you want to continue this conversation, know it's going to be on the passionate side. Uh-huh. And being able to articulate your needs. And the other thing that was really powerful about therapy, too, is um, when you do it, you do group therapy, right? I like group therapy. Yeah. Group therapy where you have like a mother and a daughter and a husband and a wife with their teenager and you've got, right. And everybody's just getting out their problems, right. In this very public forum. And it's so healthy, right. Because when you think like your whole world has changed and my problems and this, I could never live again. And then you start seeing other people and they've got similar problems or this. In some cases, people are dealing with really traumatic things, right? Some of the stuff that you've probably seen in your world line of work in foster care, right? Like, it's like, whoa, right? There's an old saying, right? If you threw your problems into the center of the table, right? And everybody did the same and you solved problems, you would pull yours right back, right? Right, yeah, yeah you'd pull it back. You would, yeah. I also think that chips away at the isolation. Like when we engage in group settings, Mm -hmm. I think it chips away at that isolation, Pete. Oh my gosh, my life is terrible. Things are going wrong for me. I'm having a difficult time. Like we internalize and we're on this island. Humans are social creatures by nature. And being able to see yourself or a piece of yourself reflected in another person takes away that isolation. Hmm. And it gives us a sense of comfort of like, oh, we're all in this together one way or the other. Yeah. Now, do you have any, um, so like, again, what we're talking about right now is very common, right? We all have problems and right. some people hide it. Some people like live the Facebook life, right? Where everything's perfect, right? Um, But deep down inside, there's always something going on in somebody's world, right? Yeah, Yeah, we all have it. Um, You know, like if somebody wanted to, to take action and become a little bit more educated and how to deal with this? Like, is there a certain book? Is there videos? Is there like, what do you recommend to like the parent that's just completely stressed out and doesn't know what to do, where to turn? So if you're a parent and it's completely stressed out, Mm -hmm. I'd stop and exhale. Got it. Breathe. You're okay. We're going to get through this. So Mm. there's the basic contacts, your pediatrician. Mm. Don't be afraid to say, Hey, Johnny has a problem. Susie has a problem. Tommy Mm. has a problem. Where do I go? Mm -hmm. Um, There's a million books out there. And I'll gather a few so you can post them. Put them on the site. There's so much. There's so many different approaches. Mm -hmm. Um, But talk to your pediatrician. Don't be afraid to talk to your school Mm. and say, hey, you know, if you don't want to even do that, call your insurance company and be like, hey, how do I get into behavioral health or even mental health. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, how Mm -hmm. do you know what's covered? How many sessions do I have? And um, talk to other parents. Mm. Your promise you your child's not the only child who's going through something. You're not the only parent who's having a hard time reaching your child. You're not the only parent who is, you know, struggling at doing homework with the child. You're not alone. Don't be afraid to talk to other parents and don't be able be afraid to say, hey, can you help me with this? Or what did you do with your child? Yeah. Because when we normalize this, again, we get off that island mm. and we create community. And, you know, the saying, it takes a village. It does. And it doesn't have to be when a child is dealing with a crisis. It could be when everything seems perfect, right? Like they're getting good grades in school, right? 
you know, they're, you know, they're, uh, they're confident, you know, sometimes it's, there's other things that are going on in their world. Their day might not be expressing to their parents. Right. And so maybe is therapy good even when there's no problems. I'm all about tools. Right? I'm all about grabbing on to, to whatever's available and you may not need it in the moment, yeah. but knowing that resource is available. So if things are going well for your family, take a moment, check out what your insurance covers for, for mental health. Sure. Ask the school counselor, Hey, what resources do you have available? You may not need them. Yeah. But also, what's a huge part of parenting and taking care of our children mm -hmm. is taking care of ourselves. Sure. Take some time to check in with you. Do I need my own? Do I need to go get my nails done? Do I need to go golf with the guys? Like, mm -hmm. whatever your thing is, do I need to step away for a minute? If I did have to step away, who can step in for me? All of those pieces. Take some time because... If you're not well, mind, body, spirit, if mm. that's not aligned in you, it's not going to be aligned in your kids. That's right. Yeah. And now you're getting into a whole nother topic of like marriages and it's like, boy, life is hard, huh? Life. Life <laughs> is hard and that's okay. Yeah. Life is hard. Um, okay. Well, you brought some tools here. Um, so let me tell my story about the bar thing. Yes. Um, so, uh, well, we were, it was at the Rio Hotel in Las Vegas. Nice. If you know that area. We're up at great the Voodoo buffet. Lounge. Yes. Yeah, great buffet. Great buffet. Funny story about the buffet. So on my first date with my wife, when we met in 1999, um, I didn't have a lot of money and I was in the Air Force. I want to take my wife, my girlfriend at the time. I've only known, I'm, I can't even call her girlfriend. I just met her. I got her phone number and I was taking her on her first date. And so I got her, I picked her up in my mice Mustang GT. I had like 300 bucks to my name and I want to take her out to dinner. And, and I love the Rio buffet. Right. And so I'm like, would you like to go to the Rio buffet? And she's like, are you serious? You're going to take me to the Rio buffet on our first day. Nice. <laughs> so, nice. I'm like, well, anyway, so uh, we ended up going to the cheesecake factory and the forum shops there and we had a great time, but, um, but I love the Rio buffet anyway. So I'm at the voodoo lounge and, um, and a friend of mine comes up and he's like, Hey, I want you to mean her name was Tatina. I even remember her name. Um, and, uh, and she, um, he's like, yeah, I want you to meet Tatina. She's clairvoyant. I'm like, well, what is clairvoyant? Right. And like, she's kind of can read things. And I'm like, really? I'm like, he goes, yeah, check this out. Cause he was a friend of mine that danced. Um, do you know, Stevie B like party your body and spring love yes, all yeah, those okay, old okay. songs from the eighties. Right. He was a dancer for him. And so he, um, he's like, yeah, man, she totally like picked up on something. And she said that she sensed something with me, something related to Miami. Right. This is his story. Um, and it's like Miami. And then I don't, I'm not going to Miami anytime soon. It's like weird. Right. But then like two months later, Gloria Stefan was doing auditions for Miami Sound Machine to be like a dancer. And and the opportunity came to him and then he actually got signed to do the dancing with Miami Sound Machine. So that was just one example of how she was able to predict it. Didn't know what that association meant, but something Miami was coming to him. So with us, when we met with her, me and I think, I think we were married. My wife and I were married. Um, she's like, yeah, we didn't have any children at all. And my wife had just, she, yeah, she was married because she was just pregnant and we didn't tell anybody. Um, and, uh, and she was just maybe like, I don't know, maybe like two months pregnant or something. And she goes, Oh, you're pregnant, huh? I'm like, how did you know that? <laughs> She's like, Oh yeah, no, you're going to have a boy. Um, and we're like, what? 
And she goes, yeah, you know, I, I, you're going to have two boys and a girl. Right. And we're like, okay. And so uh, anyway, we had JJ and then two years later we had another boy and it was in the back of our mind, right? Like a girl, like what is she talking about? Like, you know, and then um, many years later we moved to California. My boys at the time were like 12 and like 14 years old. And my wife gets pregnant again. And guess what? It's a girl. It's a girl. It's right? a girl. Yeah. So she Yay! predicted two boys and a girl. And we always thought in the background that was she, she, maybe she really wasn't clairvoyant. She said two boys and a girl. We don't have our girl. Right. And so, yeah, that was that's, my story. that's actually typical when I do readings uh -huh. with people and we kind of dive into this whole unseen world together. At first, it doesn't appear obvious. Yeah. Um, that happens frequently. Um, because we're not aware of it. It hasn't happened yet. We're talking about quote unquote predicting the future. Yeah. And so we're like, what? That was wrong. I've had so many people call me like months later and they're like, Alana, oh my gosh. Mm. Now I know what you were talking about. It all makes sense now. So that's yeah. not an unusual story. We love it when those moments are aha moments and we're like wowed in the moment. Mm -hmm. But if you... Um, have a reading and you're like, hmm, this doesn't sit well. Just pay it. Wait, okay. be patient. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. So this is going to be my first reading. Oh, okay. Um, and so first of all, the cards, like what's special about the cards? Like what does that tell okay, you? Okay. So like, this is um, tarot cards. Okay. You can go to your local Barnes and Noble or an Amazon to get some, but okay. there are bunch of independent esoteric bookshops, spiritual bookshops in this city. I totally recommend supporting them. Okay. Um, Got it. Run by really great people, hippie people, my kind of people. Got so it. I would definitely recommend that. Okay. And um, so these cards are ancient. I probably should have prepped better. So I knew exactly the date that we saw tarot cards kind of pop up okay. in human history, mm -hmm. but they are cards. Each card has an image. Okay. And that image has a classic um, interpretation. But what's interesting and makes reading the cards a more spiritual, mystical practice is where the cards sit. We do something, we'll do something called a spread. And where the cards sit um, and how they relate with one another, okay. they are communicating a message. And that's your psychic reading. Interesting. Okay. So just like our playing card decks, there are um, four suits. Mm-hmm. There is the pentacles or coins. Okay. That's this guy over here. Perfect timing. Where's our camera? There it is. Yeah. Wands, which look like sticks. Okay. Swords. And I always pronounce that W. I have to consciously not say swords. <laughs> I want to say swords. Swords. And cups. Last but not least. Okay. Cups. So um, the more you study the um, tarot, like, the suits and um, all have different meanings. They can be connected to astrology. They, you know, we can get deeper and deeper and deeper. But the basics of it is that how the cards lay together communicate a message. Got it. And typically when you do a reading, how many cards do you use from the deck? Great question. It depends uh. on the spread. There's lots of different spreads that um, people are accustomed to. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to put it in the shape of a star, that's going to have five points. Mm -hmm. We get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The very common spread is ten. Ten. And so if anybody, right, because like you see psychic shops, there's one in Toluca Lake. They're all over, right? Yeah. Is this kind of what happens inside when you go to, or is there different ways to read 
people. Everybody has spiritual gifts. Some of okay. them are kind of like cool and impressive, like clairvoyancy. But yeah. some of us are really talented in business. Like we I all see. have very mad spiritual gifts. But as far as like the psychic stuff goes, mm-hmm. there might be somebody who is a real strong with the cards. There might be somebody who channels using different modalities. And so the reason why cards are so common is people like them. Yeah. It's really fun to see. Interesting. See the deck. Okay. Um, it's it's some for some people it's less reassuring when someone just sits there and like channels energy. Yeah, I see. And there's different types of decks. This is the classic one. I intentionally brought the classic one. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give you a deck reading, but before I do that, I want to tell you this. So your team approached me to do the show. I intentionally made an active choice that I wasn't going to watch or listen to any of the podcast, and I wasn't going to dive into you much further than anything I already knew intentionally. But it was so interesting. And I was going to wait for this moment. Like this was my moment (laughs) that we were going to do everything. It Mm. was so interesting. I was immediately channeling you like a month ago. Mm. Like so much energy comes through from you without the cards, which I just thought was absolutely fascinating and wonderful. Is that a good thing or bad thing? I guess It's a beautiful thing. Uh So this is the messages I received before you and I sat down today. Okay. Sometimes when these things happens, it's less impressive, but you kind of touched a little bit on it in our dialogue here. But one of the things is that really came forward to me is um, sometimes we call it an old soul. Mm. You know, someone who's kind of done this round before, someone has a little bit more wisdom, um, a little bit more energy with them. And that's definitely you. Like, this is not your first rodeo. There's some past life stuff Mm. going on with you that you've done this before a little bit. And in this life, you are really diving into compassion Mm -hmm. and really practicing what does that look like in every day when we're working with different people with all aspects of your life, whether it's business, family, partnerships, there's this huge compassion piece. What was really clear to me, and I'm so glad we talked about family today, Mm. is one of the things that even driving over here came through. There was a huge piece about childhood inner child stuff that came forward and connected with that there was a sense of sadness a sense of pain a sense of loss within that inner child space and what's really interesting about it is a lot of times when we talk about pain or loss from our inner child the things that happen in childhood it usually or frequently indicates that there is pain that needs to be we need to put it somewhere we need to exhale it yeah. Right. It needs to be compartmentalized. What is so interesting about your spirit, and it was so exciting driving <laughs> over here just thinking about it, is that you have already managed to channel that energy, to do that exhale, if you will, through compassion. You've managed to translate this into compassion for every aspect of your life mm. and um, within your family life within your work life, within all these other pieces of yourself. And it comes through so strongly, this, this uh, almost care for community, care for community, care for humanity, care for those individual people in my life so strongly. Driving over here, I was just like overwhelmed, like this is really exciting. Wow. Huh. Interesting. How does that, does that feel right for you? The old soul totally feels right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I, I don't know. Like ever since I was a kid, like I've always had this thing with like 
old people, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's the thing. Like, you know, like I just yeah. kind of relate well to like seniors and, and, you know, and, and so, uh, um, anyway, that's just, uh, that's maybe because I grew up with my grandfather really mostly as my right. father figure. Um, and so I've got a lot of respect for seniors and, um, but, uh, yeah, there's definitely some, you know, there's some things from my childhood that, um, uh, I, I guess it wasn't painful per se, like no, like traumatic, but just stuff, stuff, right. Stuff. Yeah. I, I like to give positive energy. Like I'm very conscious of that. Like that's a big part of my character and who I like to be and who, how I show up on this earth is just energy and being aware of negative and positive energy. So that's something that I, I, I try to practice. Yeah. You're definitely practicing it because I yeah. felt it all the way in Calabasas a month ago. <laughs> is there anything specific you want to know from the cards? Yeah, whatever message I'm, all right, let's I'm do meant it. to hear, I'm open that. to hearing. I'm going to slide these over to you. I'm okay. going to ask you to Cut the deck. That that's beautiful so far. So that's you. That's me. It's a yellow that's card. You. Okay. That's the magician. And there's a it looks like what is a angel wearing like a red jacket or something. Excellent. It's yes. the magician. Okay. So um this is magic. This, this is magic. This is magic. This is somebody who's able to transform darkness into light. Okay. And this is you. So this card in this position is representing you. This is somebody who's able to take what's happening around them, that energy you just spoke about, mm -hmm. and transform it. So that's like the alchemist. That's you. That okay. is you. Got it. That's so interesting. So Second card is a heart with three swords through it. Yes. And what do you think this card means just from its image? This one's a very clear one to practice with. That I got my heart broken or something? It's kind know. of what it looks like, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. There's more to it, but this card... Um, this card in a relationship reading, bad card. It's a bad card. Bad card. That's oh, a sad okay. card. Okay. But here's the tricky part about tarot. They're not always, they look bad. They look scary. It doesn't yeah. always mean that. Okay. So this is the piece that I think goes into what I was talking about earlier that I was sensing from you of transforming loss, transforming pain. And it doesn't have to be big like tragedy, like, yeah. oh my God, terrible things happening. But that energy processing that you were talking about mm -hmm. is transforming that. Got Again, it. with this magician taking anything that's negative or, or on the downside and mm -hmm. being able to translate it and to process it into something new. So this looks just this card itself might look like, oh, my gosh, it's, I'm about to go through a breakup yeah. or a heart. Uh -huh. But the fact that it's sitting with the magician, which we know transforms things, that's magical. That actually just kind of solidifies like who you are and your energy and where you're at. Like okay. in a real transformative space. Okay. Yeah. Following. Following. All yeah. right. Let's do this. These are really great cards for a teaching lesson. Okay. I love it. I love it. Okay. This card looks also it's really a, scary. It's like a knight on a horse. It's black and white. And there's somebody that it is says, yellow. Yeah. Death. And it says death. So people have never been introduced to this are like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's yeah. awful. How occult. So death is another example of a card that can look really scary. Mm -hmm. But death is transformation. So we just talked about transformation in these previous two cards. Mm -hmm. And here it's also talking about transformation. You are transforming right now mm. in a transition period, going from one space to another. You're in it. Because what's death? Death is the end of one cycle, but it signifies the beginning of another cycle. Mm -hmm. So Death doesn't mean someone's going to die. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean things are terrible. Yeah. But it's talking about 
how things are one cycle's closing and the other one's opening. So again, you have there's transition going on with you. You're okay. moving to a new plane, a new level, a new new phase of the journey. Okay. Which we're gonna take a look at the prospects. Okay. Moving forward. Now she's laying about three or four other cards into like a square. So many cards. And if you go for a reading, what I'm doing is I'm placing cards down. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd be here all day if I went through every single one and how it plays with the other. So I've laid them all down so I can take the whole picture. Wow. Um, I get, I'm starting to understand it now. You're starting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. of seeing how it works. Yeah. Um, I'll just point out some pieces that are fun and then I'll give you like, what is the message? Okay. In a What's really fun is you got the high priestess. Okay. He positioned about... Um, and so the fact that we, the high priestess is similar to the magician. This is, an, again, another spiritually enlightened presence, an energetic presence. And the fact that we have this on the spread along with the magician, we're looking at like a balance of sacred masculine and divine feminine. And that's like your yin and yang energy. Um, don't think of it as gender, but rather of like, we all have qualities that are quote unquote feminine and masculine inside of us. And there's mm-hmm. this balancing of the two. And I see that energy transforming inside of inside of you of creating that balance in your own life. So there's a huge balance piece here. One thing that's kind of interesting to me, I'll put the camera up, is this two of wands, which tends to mean new beginnings okay. and travel opportunities, but it's upside down. Okay. So this is where it gets really fun with readings. Huh. Because if it was right side up with our first three cards we discussed, and you're going on vacation and mm-hmm. you're moving. Like yeah. that would be a super clear message. Yeah. But it's upside down. Okay. So you're not going on vacation and you're not moving right now. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah. So because that card is there, along with this high priestess card I just talked about, and we're talking about transition, we know that this is more of an internal transition in your mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. in your um, in your movement. Okay. And I know it's less likely to be like a business transition per se, because we're not seeing coins or uh, pentacles on the deck because that suit tends to have um, business relations to it. So if we had the same spread and like a bunch of pentacles were going on here, pentacles are also called coins. Mm -hmm. Coins are connected to business. Then we would know, oh, Jason, what are you doing with, you know, what's going on with business and stuff like that? But that's not happening here. I see. Either. So there's growth and transition happening for you. And so here's the message. You have to let this happen. You have to, when this starts bubbling up inside of you, and as you start feeling it and moving that balance around, you got to tell the committee to stop talking. You've got to fire them. Uh You have to do, you know, exhale when you feel the feelings for someone who bottles it up inside sometimes. Talk about it. Allow that process to happen. And because otherwise you're going to be hitting adversity. Mm. You're going to be making yourself crazy. So the message is to you, go through, go with the flow, allow it to happen and you're okay. Go with the flow. Allow it to happen and I will be okay. Interesting. Well, I really appreciate you educating me and my listeners on the whole process while giving me this reading. That was awesome. Yes. It was fun. Yes. It was fun. It was, it's really interesting reading, like to do a reading for the first time in this capacity and to have cards like uh, Death and the Three of Swords. Like I said, that still scares me a little bit, but. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. it, it does sometimes. I mean, right? it, it they look really scary. Yeah. They, it's a when scary card. I see card. death and I see a heart with three swords through it. <laughs> Should I go to sleep next to my wife tonight? Like, what the heck is happening here? So, so fascinating. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll give your information. Do you do readings for people too? I do do readings for people. Okay. I enjoy doing readings. Um, it's really interesting. Right before the pandemic hit, like there was a huge staunch message from Source Universe Truth that was like, you need to be focusing your energy somewhere else right now because some things are happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went through the pandemic and my family needed my attention. Yeah. And I'm at the point on my journey where it, it, if spirit tells me something, I just listen to it. Because I'm I, whenever I argue with that still small voice inside of me, like signs and stuff, that's yeah. when I get into trouble. Huh. So, um, but I'm at a place where, yes, my I'm open. Please, I'd be, I'd love to do. Okay. I'd love to do readings for you. And how do people get in touch with you? So I'm old fashioned. Okay. I'm old fashioned. Like I just took my uh, website down to do some reworking things. You can find me on Instagram at the underscore Alana MG. Okay. I'm not real. I'm old. So I'm not really like super active on my Insta. That's okay. But you can reach me there. You can find me on Facebook at Alana MG. You'll find me. Okay. Send me a message. I do parties. You do? Okay. I do parties. It's really fun to get a group of girls together, have some wine, have some cheese, do some yoga. I might have you. Maybe my wife can have a little get together and have you come and join me. I would be be honored. It would be my privilege. That's cool. It's really fun. Once I put this website. See, Jason, you you and I need to talk offline because you've got to help me with my my website. I know a little thing about that. Please. Uh Well, you're not not done yet, right? We do have a session called Hennessy Heart to Heart. But one thing I wanted to mention, um, there's an amazing book. You talked about um, your committee right? The yeah. voices in your head. If you really want to learn more about that, there's an amazing book called The Un- Untethered Soul. Have you heard of it? I have heard have of you it. Read I that? haven't read it. Oh, it's very powerful. Such a good book. So if you really want to start to understand your voices in your head, read that book, The Untethered Soul. So there's my tip to you. Thank you. I See? receive. I yes. receive with such an open heart. Thank, Thank you. Yes. All right. So Hennessy Heart to Heart, um, this is where we kind of wrap up all of our calls uh, or our episodes rather. Um, and I just basically ask a question that you have not been prepped. Um, and then you just say whatever's on your mind. Sounds like a plan. Let's Simple. do it. If you were an animal, which one would it be? Goodness, I don't know. But what's coming up is a giraffe. Hmm. And I don't know why, but giraffe came to mind. So okay. I'm, I'm going to stick with giraffe. Let's go with that. If you were to open a restaurant, what kind of food would you serve? Oh, this one's a fun question. Mm-hmm. I would um, do like foodie food okay. and like with like all the gluten-free and vegan and dairy-free type of stuff, but good. Good stuff. But like good. I think that would do very well in Calabasas. I think that would be fantastic <laughs> in Cal- If you'd like to invest, please contact me. There it is. What makes you feel most alive? Oh my gosh, that's a hard one. Hmm. I'm most alive when I'm in the moment, when I fired my committee, when I've taken that deep breath, yeah. when I've stood in my own power and been in a place of acceptance, huh. when I can really feel the pulse and energy of the world, feel I'm alive. I could sense that from you. What's the funniest thing you ever did as a kid? Oh, please. we The show's wrapping up. We don't have enough time. <laughs> Um, this one comes to mind. It's, I don't know if it's funny. Okay. It's probably not funny. Whatever came to mind. But it's funny. So, um, 
my I mentioned my brother had Down syndrome and mm-hmm. he got himself caught in the treehouse as a kid. So I went up there to get him down. And instead of going step by step down the ladder, I had put him on my back and like a piggyback. Uh-huh. And like I jumped off the treehouse. And of course, when you're eight years old, that breaks your leg. Ooh. So I don't know why I think this is funny, mm. but I thought I would get in trouble yeah. for helping my brother. So I said my brother pushed me. Oh, no. <laughs> and for like years, like he didn't get in trouble. He has Down syndrome, of uh-huh. course. But for years, people thought my brother pushed me out of the treehouse. And like as an adult, like I'm kind of mortified because that never happened. I'd like See? to set the record straight. That never happened. You've but heard I, it here. Yeah. yeah but... <laughs> I still think that's so funny that yeah. I, that's what I chose to lie about as, well, you're as a, kid, a kid, right? Yeah, right. you didn't know. What's something that people always misunderstand about you? Everything. Yeah, huh? You're, uh, um, you could pick one. Pick one? Yeah. There's lots of pieces to me. And actually, I misunderstand this about myself, too. I'm yeah. really working on this. I just did a Facebook post about this. Like, I had an aha moment. Like, I don't have to commit, like, one piece of me. I can be all of me. I agree. That's the thing too, as those are listening, like just because you have been doing something your whole, it's okay to change and be something different. Right. right. Like I'm doing that right now. Like for most of my life, I've been known as like a digital marketer. Right. Now I'm doing podcasting just because I want to do something different. I feel like I've got so much more to give. So here I am. Love it. Do you write in a journal? I do. You do? I do. How often do you do that? All the time. Yeah. huh? And can I give a tip? Well, I'm going to. I'm just going to be assertive right it. now. I'm giving listeners a tip. Your journals don't have to be, dear diary, today this happened, or these are my feelings. Write whatever comes to you, whatever you want. Like mm-hmm. if somebody picked up my journal, like when I die and like people go through my journals, they're going to be like, this woman was crazy mm-hmm. because it might be mad rants and, and nonsense and of uh, calling everybody terrible names. It could be poetry. It could be, you know, messages that I've received from beyond, like anything, pictures. Mm. It's your journal. You don't have to show it to anybody. Now, do I don't journal, right? But do people go back and read their journals? Some people do. Yeah. You can burn it when you're done. Sometimes that's your way of exhaling, right? Exactly. Just journaling, huh? Just get it out. Pour it onto the page. If you want to keep it, keep it. You want to do a bonfire? We'll do a bonfire. Who's your favorite historical figure? Right. A lot of historical figures. But right now, I'm really into um, Gustav Fechner, who is an old nerdy guy from the history of psychology. He was the one who really helped to bring the practice of psychology into mainstream science. And the reason why I like him is that his entire career as a scientist, he was struggling to understand the metaphysical and the scientific world Hmm. and actually drove him crazy before he made such a huge scientific contribution to psychology. Hmm. So I naturally like him because I kind of have a little bit of both worlds in me too. Got it. Great answer. I want to go do some research and use Google to do that. Excellent. Do you know what your love language is? Oh, I don't think I have a love language. No? (laughs) I think I've gone through it like so many times. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't like, I, I still don't know. That's part of the journey. I still don't know. I go back right. and forth. I think I'm like avoidant attachment of the other one, but <laughs> but the love language, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I like to receive gifts. That's my wife's. I think I like to receive gifts, but they don't yeah. have to be big gifts. No, they could be little elephants. And I think mine might be like acts of service. Like I want to do for you. That's a good one. Yeah. 
Mine's uh, words of affirmation. You're fantastic, Jason. You're <laughs> doing you. good. <laughs> I'm proud of you. There's your improv skill just the, coming right out. Yes, and. See? <laughs> What moment in history would you have liked to be part of? Oh, my gosh. That's another hard one. Mm-hmm. What moment in history that I'd like to be a part of? Maybe going to the moon. Going to the moon. That would have okay. been kind of cool. Oh. Right? That would have been fun. I could see you in the summer of 69. Peace, love, happiness. I could see you like on a blanket, tie-dye blanket with a guitar and just... I could just totally see that. No, totally. Absolutely. Uh Absolutely. What occupation could you never do and why? What occupation could I never do and why? Um, I could never be like a DMV clerk. (laughs) I couldn't. Like, I don't. That's a good answer. I don't play well with like authority and bureaucracy. Uh And that would just be, that would be bad. That would be bad. Be bad for the government and be bad for your for you too. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing that you will never do again? One thing that I'll never do again. Oh my gosh. I don't think I can talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can leave it like that. Suspense. Yes. Right? Call her to get a reading and then she'll talk about it. There we go. There we go. See? Yes. I like that. What is your favorite part about yourself? Right. Oh, my God. I'm getting to love myself, getting to know myself now at this next phase of my journey. Uh But I think the favorite part about myself is I'm I am weird. Mm. I am different. Yeah. I don't fit in. That's a good thing. And I see it as a good thing. That's awesome. Right. I love it. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Uh, what's one thing on your bucket list still that you have not accomplished? Right before the pandemic, we were going to go to Jamaica, my husband and I, Mm -hmm. and we were going to do the whole renew the vows thing. Mm -hmm. And that happened right, you know, as pandemic was happening. And so Jamaica's back on the bucket list, guys. Back on the bucket list. And then the last question, uh, do you believe in fate? I am a psychic and I can predict your fate. (laughs) So Yes. (laughs) So interesting how different people answer that question. How yeah. do other people answer it? We've had one guest that uh, does not believe in fate, right? Make your own destiny. Yeah. So everybody's got their own perspectives, right? And I don't think anybody's wrong, right? That's I just think your that's perspective. The be- I think that's the beauty of it. That's like, it. what is your personal truth? Yeah. Well, this is such a fun episode. I really appreciate you driving all the way. Is it down the hill or up the hill? Down the hill. It's just a few exits on right? the 101. Yes. Uh, to join me, I appreciate it. And then again, for those that uh, listen to this episode that want to read, I'm, I'm sure even if they're in different states, you could probably even do Zoom reading. Yeah, right? I do Zoom. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, like I'm not like super set up. I mean- uh-huh. But seriously, find me on Facebook, find me on Instagram, Yeah, you know, the underscore Alana MG, because I'm the Alana MG. <laughs> Send me a message. We'll set up Zoom. We'll do this. And if you're in LA, do it in person. I do it in person. So Let's hang out. I'll do parties. I'm so happy that we're moving into this new phase because mm-hmm. I miss doing parties. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. This has been the Jason Hennessy Podcast. This show is produced by Whitney Welsh and Jenna Kershaw, engineered and edited by Josh Fisher, and recorded at Hennessy Studios. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 